Well, I'm really excited to be up here again. I guess, you know, I must have done a good job last year that they let me back up here. <laughs> so much has changed for me in the past year. Um, the last time I was up here, I was six weeks pre pregnant with my daughter, Eleanor, who's sleeping. Uh, <laughs> and now, fast forward to this year, I'm, you know, I have a six-month-old daughter. And for the first time ever, um, my husband and I are homeowners. And God has like truly blessed both of us and poured his blessings upon us and I. And I bet you would never have guessed that that was the fruits um, of a long and difficult harvest. Um, and when I say difficult, I really mean difficult. And so, but thankfully we're here in 2020. <laughs> Whoo! And we're about seven months in. And I am guilty of a million photos already of my daughter. <laughs> I can't tell you how many photos are on here, how many videos are on my phone already of my daughter, but it's probably close to a million. But I'm actually super thankful for um, my phone because we haven't been able to see a lot of our family and they haven't got to meet Eleanor yet. So I'm able to instantly take photos and capture moments in her life and send them off to my family and they just, they receive it. Isn't that amazing? incredible like they don't live here they live in Arizona and so you know and they're in the past I'm in the future I always joke I'm like so you're, you're getting you know you're getting the future you know said to you <laughs> this is what your two hours will look like but <laughs> I'm, I'm just so thankful for that and that's a this is just something I can't ever get over because I grew up using one of these who remembers this right here raise your hand if you remember this is how we told the world. We scrapbooked with these, right? Um, we took photos of our feet, uh, the inside of our bags, because <laughs> um, I, I, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who remembers this, um, what they are. You know, I call this a Kodak moment. You know, no, it's a, it's a disposable camera for those of you who don't know what it's called or what it is. Um, <laughs> And, and I know some of you aren't that, you know, young, but there are some young people, so I want to address. This is a disposable camera, and it takes film, so you can see on the slide and the image that it takes that film. And I remember being 10 years old and, like, begging my mother to buy me one of these to go to church camp with. Um, and, and so there's only, like, 25, 27. This one has 27, but, again, a million flashes, but only 27 photos. Because, um, <laughs> obviously, you can screw up the flashes. Um, but I, So she got me two, and I remember thinking, um, as closer, the closer I got to that last photo, I'd become, like, this photographer. I'd be like, okay, I have to really think about what I'm going to take a picture of. Because this is, this is what I'm going to remember of my, my time here at church camp, away from my family. And, um, and I, like, I don't know, I was just imagining that more than 10 people would actually see these photos. But in reality, what, only like 10 people really see your photos. Um, so the best part was finally coming home and going with my parents, um, taking the film out of the camera, and, and going with them to Walgreens to drop off the film and um, to be developed. Does anybody remember how long it used to take to get these developed? I think it was like five to six days at like the fastest. Um, but before we'd return and finally see the photos I'd taken, and of course all of them were like my, the inside of my bag or my feet, my friend's foot, you know, <laughs> or a dark room because I thought, cool, I got the flash. I'm going to take it in the church where it's dark while we're worshiping. <laughs> but um, now at the age of 10, I didn't really care or know the magic behind what happened to the film. 
and how it became developed and how it turned into my photos. I just knew it happened. But now as an adult, um, I know, and I've seen it in movies, I know you guys have probably seen it in movies and TV as well, that uh, when they take that tiny roll of film and it would leave my hands, it goes into a dark room and, go, and it would go through a nine chemical process so that that image could come out and be forged onto a negative. So this is the important part. If you open the door to the dark room that it's in prematurely, then the light would have exposed the negative and the image in the negative would have been destroyed and the picture would never be produced. I'm going to say that again. If you open the door to the dark room prematurely and allowed any outside light to come in, then the light would have exposed the negative and the image in the negative would have been destroyed and that picture would have never been produced. I'm repeating this because I believe we've become a culture of the instant rather than the one of the developed. We come here on Sunday morning waiting for our word from God our chance to be used by him, rather than letting him develop us in his image. We, we are stuck in the idea that God needs to discover us. <laughs> he, create, um, he, he doesn't need to discover us. The truth is that God created you. <laughs> it's us who needs to come to him. It's us that needs to look within and discover the one who created us. The one who created the heavens and the earth who knows how many hairs are on my head in the depths of my heart. We need to be formed by the clay maker and allow ourselves to be forged in his image. If God knows who we are, why should it matter if the world knows who we are? Why does it matter if the world sees the outward good things that we do if God sees straight to our heart? And he sees, man, he sees straight to our hearts. I mean... That's the thing. You could be doing good things and you could be showing the world, but God sees the real intention, which is here. This is where God looks. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit my microphone, but that's where God looks. We need to position our hearts to worship the king and not the worship. And when I say worship, I'm not talking about the praise and worship we do here. I'm talking about the world. I'm not allowing ourselves to be swept up by the current of the culture and not to be of it, but to be so strong in who we are in Christ that his image surpasses the one the world wants us to seek. We've got to be developed. When we need to go into the dark room with the Lord and allow him to, be for, to forge his image in us, that, that when we step out of that room, out of that dark room, we can't be changed by whatever the world is doing. We can't be changed by what's happening because we have God so strong within us and his, his voice is speaking in our hearts constantly. I can't think of a better example of this uh, than David and Saul. Both were kings of Israel appointed by God. So let's go, if you can, open your, open your Bibles up or your Bible app, if you're like me, to 1 Samuel 16.1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as the king of Israel. So fill up your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be the next king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which one of his sons to anoint for me. 
So as we go on, Samuel does as he's instructed. He arrives to Bethlehem. The elders come out and they're like, what's going on? Samuel the prophet's here. What are, what are we, what's happening? Um, and he tells them, I'm going to do a sacrifice. So purify your uh, sacrifice for the Lord. So purify yourselves. And he invites Jesse and his sons, just as the Lord told him. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elab, which is the oldest son. And he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by the appearance of, or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks in the heart. Then Jesse told his son uh, Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemia, but Samuel said, neither is this one that the Lord has chosen. And this goes on for all of, Je of Jesse's sons, and they're presented before Samuel. The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, he finally is like, okay, I guess I got to ask, um, hey, Jesse, is this all your sons? <laughs> and uh, Jesse's like, oh, yeah, wait, <laughs> they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said, and we will not sit down to eat before he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Samuel took out the flask of olive oil and he brought it and anointed David with the oil in front of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So here we have Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, being sent to anoint the next king by God. He's just following the instructions to replace Saul. And if we go back a chapter, the word tells us that the people of Israel, they asked Samuel for a king. They asked for the king. And at this moment, Samuel is feeling very rejected because he was the one interpreting the word from God to the people. And so he's in his mind, he's like, they're rejecting me. And God's like, no, they're rejecting me. <laughs> Um, he said, so Samuel, what I want you to do is I want you to, t to go out and warn the people what a king will do. And I want you to tell all of them um, that the king will send your sons to war. Just begin to warn them, but also listen to all of them and find out what they want in a king. So after doing this, um, God chooses Saul. Saul is the perfect image of what a king should look like. He is tall and handsome, strong, and he has one a lot of military battles, because of course, what else is a king good for besides winning battles, right? <laughs> At first, Saul is faithful to God, but it's, it's very quickly that he um, begins to be disobedient and listens to his advisors and his own voice um, rather than the voice of God. Saul begins to love the worship that he is getting from the world rather than being developed with God um, to make him the king that God wants him to be. So God sees this and decides that he has given Saul enough chances. Now he's going to find a king who is more focused on following God first rather than seeking his own glory. So Saul, at one point, allowed that door in the dark room to be opened. And he fell to the voices of the world. And his, the image that God was imprinting on him became exposed and it was no longer there. And the world seemed greater than the God that appointed him. And the, and the voices told him that he was great. And he deserved to be king because God had chosen him. 
Obviously, that meant that he didn't need to be seeking after God first, right? He, had already, um, he was already where he needed to be. So let's read on in chapter um, Samuel 17. We're going to kind of paraphrase. So it starts out with the battle of Goliath. Um, who Goliath, he's a mighty warrior. He's, he's a giant, <laughs> just to say at the least. He's about, I think he's nine feet tall. His armor is super heavy. He just comes out every day and he's taunting the Israelites. He's like, hey, you guys, I'm going to defeat you. I'm so mighty. I'm so strong. I'm stronger than any of your God. I, I can defeat him. You guys are going down. And so later David was the, uh, so David, he's the youngest son. And David, David's three older brothers stayed in Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. But for 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. That's a long time, 40 days for that to be happening. So it goes on later. It says, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will the man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is the pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? So then later, he, he's like enraged. He's, he's getting upset. He's like, he's hearing uh, Goliath come out every day and say these taunts. And he, David, instead of being afraid, he's like, who is this guy? And they're like, but David, haven't you seen him? And he's like, no, no, no. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is defying the living God? Yeah. So he, he goes and he, he goes to Saul and he says, don't worry about the Philistine. Don't worry about the nine foot giant outside. He said to Saul, I'll go fight him. <laughs> David, who again is not the appearance of a king like Saul. He is, he's very like, he's young. He's tinier than Saul. He's coming out and he's like, I'm going to fight Saul. I'm going to fight, sorry, not I'm going to fight Saul. I'm going to fight Goliath. And so Saul says, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since your youth, since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion and a bear would come to steal a lamb from the flock, I would go after it with my club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turned on me, I would catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this both with lions and bears, and I'll do it again with the pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. He said, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. So David went to the waters and he picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out to, towards David and with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the rubby-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You have come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of the heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men and the, to the birds and the wild animals. And when the whole world will know that, the, that there is a God of, in Israel, yes, and everyone assembled there, uh, assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with a sword or a spear. No. The Lord, this is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. Yeah. Goliath moved closer to attack, but David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, he took, and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone stank, the stone stank in, and Goliath stumbled, face for, uh, stumbled forward and fell face down on the ground. Oh my gosh, can we just talk about David for a second? <laughs> first off, when we first meet David, he is the forgotten son. He's the good shepherd. Out, he's out in the field while his brothers all know to be someone, someone by Samuel. But he's out in the field. Now we're here at the battle of the Philistines and the Israelites, and he comes to check on his brothers while... Here, while well, there, he hears Goliath yelling taunts and curses about the children of God and all of Israel. And David hears this, and he's quickly enraged. Like, who is this guy to defy the Israel, uh, to defy, defy Israel and the living God? Notice that everyone is like, have you seen this guy, David? Like, they're just afraid. Even King Saul is afraid. Not only does the Bible tell us that King Saul is afraid, but it's obvious because he's not made a move against this guy. He is terrified. Um, and so Saul, the king appointed by God, is sitting and watching this giant come out and make threats. And David, the shepherd boy, hears it. And he wants to stand up against the one defying the Lord. Yes, David tells us as a shepherd he faced lions and bears, plural. That means that multiple <laughs> of those animals came at him. I don't know if anybody's seen The Revenant. It's a, it's a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and he gets attacked by a bear and it's, I would never want to fight against a bear because I've seen this. So to know that David had faith over fear, he went and he attacked this bear knowing because he, he protected the sheep with his life. He recognized the importance of all the sheep, not just the one. David is walking in the confidence of someone who is allowing God to develop him yeah. in the dark places because when the world was terrified against a giant, David is answering their fear with faith. Yeah. Yeah. Faith in God that he can only come, that can only come when we allow his image to be so forged and, and formed in us so great that our hearts, um, that the light of God is shining brighter than our fear, our anxiety our shame, our brokenness, our depression, our pride, any yeah. chains this world can offer us. Yeah. We can stand up to any giant speaking against, the living, uh, speaking against God and, and use the living word of God that he's given us, the Bible. We can open up his word and allowing his perfect light to cast out darkness. We've got to position our hearts to worship and be developed by the king and not worship the world. David worshiped the living God and that when he goes against someone much greater than him, he, def uh, he defeats Goliath with one stone. The stone didn't kill Goliath, but his faith in God from, the, from his time in worship, recognizing, yes, he was weak, but God was strong. Yeah. 
As long as God was living and breathing within David, he could slay any giant in his path. So now David has slayed Goliath, and he makes, this makes Saul jealous. So the next passage in Samuel 18, 5, it talks about how they, their, whatever Saul asked David to do, he would do it. He would just do it to please his king. He was, he was trying to be a good servant. And um, they come back from the war, and they've defeated all the Philistines, and they come back, and they're victorious. And the people begin to sing this song. The, I know it says the women, they came out and sang this song. It said, Saul has killed the thousands, but David has killed the ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David to the ten thousands and me with only the thousands? Next, they'll be making him their, making him their king. And th so from this time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul, who loved David like a son, <laughs> began to see that God was developing him to be the king of Israel, and this made him so jealous he wanted to kill David. Does this sound familiar? What happens when we stray from God and fall in line with our own glory? We get upset at the generation ahead of us and feel threatened. Rather than encouraging them to surpass us and be greater than we ever were, we begin to form a jealousy for who they are becoming. Yeah. Saul knows that David slayed Goliath. He was there. And he was happy and grateful for, for what David did. It's only when the people proclaim that the good deeds that David's doing does he become enraged. Saul doesn't see David as the asset he is to the kingdom, um, to his kingdom, but rather is consumed by the jealousy and he begins to plot to kill David. He begins to plot and think about how ways he's like, I got to get rid of this guy. He's, he's going to be the next king. People love him more. And as time passed, passes, David has to flee for his life from Saul time and time again. David is given the opportunity not once but twice to return the favor to kill Saul. And each time he says, this is who God has appointed to be king, and I will not harm him. David even gets close enough to kill Saul that he cuts a piece of his robe, uh, and Saul doesn't even notice. So while David and his men are hiding in the cave and Saul comes into the, into the cave, uh, his men, David, we're going to go to Samuel 24, and it says where David and uh, his men, he, they begin to encourage him to take the opportunity to kill Saul. It says, now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him, because they're hiding in the back of the cave, and, David, and Saul's up at the front, and they see him. And it says, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power and to do as you wish. So David, he crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of uh, Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's rope. He began to hurt because he's like, this is going against what God has done. He said to his men, the Lord forbade me that I should not do this to the, the Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Yeah. Yeah. So David restrained his men and said, uh, and he did not let them kill him, kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David comes out and shouted, My Lord King! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low. I think that's so important. He, he comes out of the cave and he could have just shouted at Saul, Look, I cut your robe! But instead he bows low because he recognizes who the king, who the appointed one is, who God appointed in place. Then he shouted to Saul, 
Why do you listen to the people who are trying to tell you that I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes that that isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back in there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have, uh, what I have in my hand, it's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you, that I have not sinned against you, and even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. David, he could have listened to the voices of his friends to kill Saul. It would have been so easy to kill Saul in that cave. He could have listened to those voices, and, but instead he listened to the voice of reason that God had put inside of him, the voice that he came to for being in that dark room with the Lord. And um, reminding him, God was reminding him that God would, put the final, would be the final judge and serve justice to Saul. How many times do we want to play the judge and create our own justice? Yeah. Yeah. I know that there's one thing I will never want. I will never want to sit in the seat of the judge. Only God can give fair justice. And if we open up his word, we can find countless examples of when he has done so. Even in the book of David, you can find countless examples of David when he, he listened to God and let God be the judge. We don't need to be the judge of the world when that seat belongs to the one who created it. David recognized that he couldn't be the one to judge Saul, and that even though this man wanted to kill him for no reason, no good reason, he still allowed God to develop him and to love his enemy. Saul isn't the enemy of this story. I, I want to say that. Saul isn't the enemy of this story. We can't put a face on the enemy. The enemy is sin. And Saul had been consumed by his pride and his sin that led him to his downfall. When Saul began to love to the worship he got from his, the platform that God had given him, he fell to the sin of this world. That's the lie of the enemy, that we should be worshipped and recognize that God is holding us back holding us back from being loved by the world who in one instance can love you and choose you, but in a second crucify you. Yeah. Yeah. David wasn't perfect, and he made plenty of mistakes. But the reason he was the better king was because he always went back to the one he was serving. Yeah. Yeah. He, re he repented for his sins and came back to God the one he worshipped as the true king. He understood he could only be used by God if he himself was putting God first. David was being developed in that dark, David understood the importance of going back to that dark room time and time again and continuing to be developed by God. Not living in that one instant moment with him, but, uh, but constantly returning to learn and to be formed by him. We've got to position our hearts to worship and be developed by the king and not the worship of the world. As I begin to close, I'm going to call the worship team back here. Today I'm calling out in love to those who are here or watching online, um, those who have been living in the instant. If we're honest, that's kind of all of us. 
We stand confused by the choices we should make and worried about what others think of us. Let's take a moment to stand together, and I want each of us to stand right now, wherever you are, if you're here or you're in your living room, and you can space out a little bit, and I, and I want us to hold out our hands to receive the Lord. Don't worry about who's looking, because we're going to close our eyes together and bow our heads low. And when I begin to pray, begin to speak out to God who is speaking to you, what he's speaking to you right now. Begin to say those things. Begin to pray against the instant and ask for the real change this year. Pray that with the faith, pray with a faith that can slay giants and love your enemies. So let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that you bring forth revival in this room right now. King of our hearts, begin to move upon those who are watching and listening. Send forth your breath of heaven into this room and intercede in our hearts right now as we begin to just love you, God, as we begin to speak against the lies of the enemy and call forth the truth and love. God, help us to start being developed by you in the dark room, to be forged in the perfect image of you. That when we are faced with adversity, that your image shines bright within us that your words become louder in our ears and drowns out the lies of the enemy. You would be magnified within us, Lord. Let us worship with you the real king on the throne and dethrone ourselves, letting you become the true leader of our lives. I ask you, position our hearts to worship you and seek you daily, not just on the one day we are here, but every waking day, God, just to give you that 10% that you deserve every day. God, I just ask you, we surrender to you right now, to your true purpose for our lives. In your name we pray. Let's sing together.